couple of special announcements this morning is, one, uh, in two weeks, I believe it's August 20th, uh, let me make sure as I look at my own bulletin up here. Yes, August 20th, we are going to have nominations for the offices of elder and deacon. Uh, we're going to be sending out a little bit of information about that this week, just to give you a little bit of heads up of what that is and why we do that. But as we head towards becoming our own established church, um, we've had a group of folks who oversee us as part of what we call our presbytery, our regional churches. And to become established, we have to have our own leadership internally uh, to help us lead, to shepherd us, to guide us, to serve us. And we have the opportunity to participate in that by nominating uh, those men. So that's going to take place August 20th. We're going to send out some information of what that will look like and who can participate uh, in that. And then also this coming weekend on Friday, we will have our pastoral candidate that the search team has narrowed down to, to one man. And uh, he'll be coming with his wife, Rebecca, and their children. So his name is Jake, that's all I'll say. Um, Jake and Rebecca, they'll be coming into town to get some time with Liz and I, with the search team, with the oversight commission, uh, with the staff. And we're really just going to see, is, is this a fit? Is this a fit for us with him? And he's going to try to discern, is this a fit for him with us? So pray for Jake. Uh, pray for Rebecca. I'm thrilled and excited about this and praying that the Lord would continue to make his will known as we seek uh, someone to come and serve alongside me and the rest of the staff um, to pastor us together and help lead us as we grow as a church. Turn to Second Peter in your Bibles, if you would, or it's in your bulletin and provided for you. It's in the New Testament. If you're having any trouble at all, if you just go to Revelation, the very end of the Bible, and start flipping back a little bit, you'll find 2 Peter, 1 and 2 Peter. We had part 1 last week as we looked at verses 3 through 5, and this week we'll look at part 2 with verses 6 through 11. I want to start with this, especially if you're here this morning, you've been a Christian for quite some time, you know that you've received Christ and all that's in Him. Um, even as believers, sometimes we can have a tendency to drift into a mentality of if I do this, then God will genuinely accept me. It's kind of an if-then religion. And, and I will say, even if you're here this morning and you have questions about Christianity, a friend invited you, a family member, or you heard about us on the internet, who knows where you've heard about us, but you've come here, you're curious Every other world religion and every other philosophy is an if-then philosophy. If you change, if you promise to do better, if you perform well, then God will show you mercy. Then God will accept you. Then He'll really love you. But Peter's consistent with the rest of the New Testament, with the Apostle Paul, with John, with all of the Old Testament. It's not an if-then religion. It's a since-therefore faith. Since God has done all of these things for you, on your behalf, out of a deep, passionate love for sinners like you, 
Therefore, trust in Him. Therefore, grow in Him. Since God has done all of this, therefore, respond in this way. And last week we saw that it says, Peter with great joy says, God has provided for you everything you need for life and godliness. And not just that, He promises to make you like Himself. But then we turn to the verses we're going to look at today and He says, therefore, in light of what God has so lovingly done for you, this is our response. Uh, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. 2 Peter, verses 3-11. through 11. We'll be looking primarily today at verses 6-11. through 11. Let's give our hearts to God's Word. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The reading of God's word, which he has given to you because he loves you. He wants you to know Him. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that You would incline our hearts to Your Word. And Lord, we know that You will be faithful to the promise that You've made about Your Word, that it will not return to You void and accomplish that which You intend it for. So Father, would Your Word bless us this morning. Bring us to faith and deepen our faith in Your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to look this morning at three things. And the first one is gospel fruit. Uh, Peter is going to be talking about the kind of gospel fruit that God wants you to bear in your life. And in light of that, he's going to lead us on towards not just kind of the gospel fruit that God desires that we bear in our lives, but also Gospel reflection. Uh, to take a moment, led by the Spirit, convinced of God's grace, to just look inside and say, are we bearing that fruit in our lives? And after we see that gospel fruit and gospel reflection, we're going to look at two very precious and powerful gospel promises that Peter ends this section with. So let's look at the gospel fruit to begin with in verses 5 
through 7. One of the things you'll notice right off the bat in verse 5 is that God, if, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God calls you to take active responsibility in growing in gospel maturity. To take an active responsibility in growing in gospel maturity. Now, one of the things I love about the Bible is oftentimes it will emphasize different things. So there are places in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John and the Apostle Peter will all say, you growing in holiness, you becoming like Christ, changing at a core heart level, is all due to the sovereignty of God's mercy. He will do it. He will do it all. So it emphasizes God's role in your growing in faith and growing in gospel maturity. But then there's other texts that will call us to take part in that and, and have our responsibility where we also strive in light of the grace and strength that God gives to grow in gospel maturity. In Romans chapter 7, Paul says that Jesus was raised from the dead in order that you might bear fruit for God. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says that we all are called to grow up in every way in Christ. In Hebrews chapter 6, the author says that we are all to grow on towards maturity. You'll notice here in light of the gospel, being united to Christ by faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter now says in verse 5, he says, for this very reason. So he's referencing back to everything he said, because God has given you everything you need in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the Holy Spirit lives in your heart and has united you to Christ, who is the vine, and now feeds you all the mercy and power and strength that you need for this very reason. Make every effort to supplement or to add to your faith. Now here we want to affirm what Luther said in the Reformation. Luther would say, we are saved by faith alone. A faith is the empty hands that comes to Christ and says, we don't have anything to bring, but we receive you alone as the fullness of our salvation. But Luther would also say, but we're not saved by a faith that remains alone. That faith itself grows and, and bears fruit, and it gives evidence of that by our character changing over time. And that's what Peter's talking about here. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, with knowledge, and all these fruits that he goes on to describe that we'll look at here in a moment. But let me just kind of describe the nature of these fruits in general before we look at them specifically and in particular. You'll notice that they're personal. So here's where you just kind of have to step back and so say Peter is speaking to each person individually who will either read or hear this letter. And he's saying, I'm speaking to you personally. I'm not just talking to a mass of people generally. I'm speaking to you. I'm not speaking about maybe your crazy uncle that really needs to hear this or the person in the pew that maybe you're sitting next to. It's like, man, they need to hear this this morning. Peter is saying, I'm talking to you. Do you possess these qualities? 
Are you growing in these qualities? The Word of God is coming to you personally this morning and calling you to to grow in responsibility, to grow in gospel maturity. So it's personal. It's also circumstantial. He's saying as you navigate life, as you navigate the summer with no school or, or school coming now that it's fall time or the really great things that are happening in life that make you joyful and grateful or the hard things in life that are zapping your strength. All of these fruits are born in moments of circumstance and situations that take place in real life. Like temptations. Will you be able to to have self-control in those moments or, or trials? Will you be able to endure? So it's personal talks about circumstances that you will go through and it's also relational most of these fruits one to evidence them and show them in your life but also to grow in them you have to be involved in relationships with other people you have to be in community so let's look at what he calls us to grow in the first thing is faith you'll notice he mentions faith here That's resting in Christ and receiving all that we have in Him alone. He says, along with faith that looks to Christ for everything, you'll notice what he says next, grow in virtue. Now, this is the same word that's described of Christ in verse 3. It says, to Him who called us to His own glory, and in the word, excellence. It's the same word that Peter uses here and we translate it virtue. It's the general goodness of your character. Peter wants you to grow in that now that you have a new heart freely given to you by God. And then he says knowledge. Gospel maturity isn't just growing in faith and virtue. It's it's growing in knowledge. Knowledge about who Christ is. Knowledge about why He came. What He did for you. Knowledge about God's will in Scripture that He desires that you live and and walk in. And here's the wonderful thing about this knowledge that Peter talks about, especially our knowledge of who Christ is and about Him. The more you know, the more you will want to know. The more you know Him, the more you'll want to know Him. There's more and there's more. And Jesus wants to reveal more and more of His heart to you so that your knowledge will grow. Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control. Peter is saying the kind of gospel fruit that grows in our lives is an ability in a time of temptation. Or when you're facing a situation between what is wise and, and unwise, it's to say no to sin. Or no to the thing that's unwise. And to say yes to pursuing Christ and being faithful to Him. That self-control can, can take a lot of, look like a lot of ways in your life. Maybe it's a moment where you're tempted to get really angry. And self-control goes, be calm. God is patient with me. I need to be patient in this situation. Maybe it's a temptation to be on your phone way too much when people are around going, hello, we're here. Maybe it's a temptation to waste time. Maybe it's a temptation to engage in things you know you shouldn't be engaged in. To speak about someone in a way that you shouldn't. Self-control says, 
I'm going to say no to the sin in my heart or the temptations around me and say yes to the things that God wants me to say yes to. The self-control is itself a fruit of the Spirit. Steadfastness. It's ability to endure the disappointments of life. Steadfastness, the ability to endure the, the disappointments, the discouragements, the hardships of life. Peter says when you're growing, these fruit will grow with you, the fruit of steadfastness. Then he mentions godliness. You can see that here in this text. It's rejoicing in God. It's resting in God. It's reflecting the heart of God to others. Godliness. Here, brotherly affection. This was so strange to the non-believing community around Christians in the early church. Because in that community, was you need to love your family and you need to love them really well. But everybody else, who cares? Priority is your family. Just make sure you care for them. You and your kin. That's all you got to care for alone. Christianity comes in and says, anyone who trusts in Jesus is your family. And you love them. You have affection for them. You care for them. You serve them. Brotherly affection. Peter's saying when the gospel is really taking hold in your life, you, you grow in these things. And then lastly, he mentions love. Not just an affection, but an action. The willing self-sacrifice for the welfare of another. And by saying brotherly affection and love, he's saying brotherly affection for all that are in the believing community with you who trust in Christ. And also love for those around you that don't know him. Your neighbors, your friends at work, the people you go to class with. Love. Peter says this is the gospel fruit that we're called to bear. It's important this morning, not only as believers, but maybe someone here who has questions about Christianity. Um, again, it's not if then. If you change and bear this fruit, then God will love you. It's since God has shown the depths of his love for you in the gospel of Christ, living for you and dying for you and raising from the dead for you, that now you bear this fruit. You don't just change by saying, you know what, Monday morning I'm waking up, I'm going to be full of self-control and I'm going to have more steadfastness. I'm going to love people better. No. Real change takes place through a real relationship with Jesus Christ, which God invites us all into this morning. Well, how do we cultivate this? If he says make every effort, here's one way. Let me mention one. Dependence. I'll step back and share a story about my life. I was sharing with some of the kids this morning. My first day of junior high, that's what we called it where I grew up in Indiana. Everybody around here gives me a hard time. They're like, it was middle school, right? No, we called it junior high. And uh, you got into junior high in seventh grade. And uh, my oldest son would say this. I think my other uh, kids would say this too. This was in ye old 1900s, okay? Like this was last century, all right? Here I am. Uh, I forget what age I was. I'm in seventh grade. It's my first day of junior high. And I don't know where to go for the bus to go home. And I went out the front entrance of the junior high to go home. And all the buses left. And I thought, I guess this is the wrong way. So I go to the back entrance. And I'm like, I got to get home because I would ride a bus from the elementary school 25 minutes into town go to middle school, and then I would ride a bus 25 minutes back to the elementary school, then to my house. 
And I go to the back entrance and there's not a single bus there anymore. First day of middle school for a kid, let's just say that's terrifying. And so I'll admit it, even as a young boy at that point, I'm trembling, trying not to cry, going... <laughs> and, the, and the middle school principal comes up to me. And I'll never forget his name, Mr. Goodpastor. I loved it. <laughs> that was his name. It was signs of things to come. I, I was going to be a pastor. Mr. Goodpastor. Real tall guy. And just, man, you talk about a good man. He gets down on his knee. He puts his arm around me and he goes, Son, do you need help getting home? I do. He goes, hop in my car. And I'm like, okay, well, that's cool. Well, he had a convertible. And so I went from feeling like all this shame and embarrassment to, that's right, we're riding behind the school bus and I'm in the principal's convertible. This is awesome. And I made it home that day because I had help. But Mr. Good Pastor got on his knee and said, do you need help? I had no one else there. I couldn't do it on my own and I had to go. I do. When you read this list, there might be a part of you that goes, oh my goodness. I, I do want to grow in these things. But the first place to start is hearing the Holy Spirit go, do you need help growing in these ways? And hopefully our heart, touched by our own weaknesses and sin, would go, yes, I do. And the Holy Spirit goes, that's why I'm here. To help you. He also is good to us. So dependence. God, help me grow in these ways. Uh, another one as well is drawing near to Jesus. One of the things that the, the Gospels show and, and the Proverbs express is that the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you become like Him. You want to grow in virtue? Spend time with Jesus who is virtue incarnate. If you want to grow in steadfastness, being able to endure, look at what all He endured. You spend time with Him, you become like Him. Brotherly affection and love. Oh, how He loved. Even to the end. If you want to become a loving person like Him, experience and be embraced by His love for you. Draw near to Him in His Word. Not as a duty to perform, but as a means of communing with a Savior who really does love you and who really does call Himself the friend of sinners. And then lastly, I would say, not just dependence and drawing near, but then diligence. Maybe it's okay if these things grow in community. I need to be part of community. Maybe it's you're going to be a part of uh, our community groups here at Oconee Fellowship as they start up here in September to commit yourself to a group of people, all of which will have wonderful differences and learn steadfastness, learn brotherly affection, learn love in community. Drawing near, dependence, and diligence. Make every effort. Well, Peter here doesn't simply just say, what's the gospel fruit that God calls us to bear? But he also calls us to gospel reflection as well. You can see that as we move forward. He says in verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and they are increasing. So he'll say here, if these qualities are yours, he's, he's joyfully inviting you. This is not scare tactics or anything else. This, he's joyfully inviting you 
to enter into gospel self-reflection. But because the gospel is true, that you're fully accepted by Christ alone, that you're declared righteous because of everything that he's done for you, therefore you can take an honest look inside and not be filled with shame or guilt because Jesus has dealt with that. He says, if these qualities are yours, and it's an invitation to each one of you this morning and to me as well to say, are these qualities mine? Am I looking to Christ? Am I growing in virtue? Am I steadfast? How well do I love others? He says, if these qualities are yours and they are increasing, not just do I have them, but am I growing in this? Am I able to endure more than I used to in the past? Do I love with more committedness and tenderness and gentleness than I did five years ago? Do I love other believers more than I did 10 years ago? Or however long it's been. Are these qualities mine and are they increasing? And you'll notice the outcome here that Peter mentions. He says, For if these qualities are yours, in verse 8, and they are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective. And the word there could also be translated useless. Nobody wants that. We don't want to be useless. He says, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. Well, for what? And he says, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's one of the things he's talking about. We've heard about vicious cycles, cycles that, that destroy you and hurt you. Here's a virtuous cycle. That by the grace of God, and the strength of God, and the power of God, and the mercy of God, as you grow in this fruit, you grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know Him more deeply. You know Him more intimately. You trust Him more fully. And because of that, you grow in the fruit. You're bearing more fruit. And as you grow in that fruit, you're growing in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And He says, if these fruit are not growing, it will hinder your communion with Jesus. He says, if these fruit are yours and they are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful cycle that he's talking about here. And he says, if you do this, you should have the comfort of assurance. So you can see a little bit further on in verse 10, he says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. To confirm, to, to have assurance. He says that God has called you, He's brought you from death to life, that He's elected you, that from everlasting his, He has set His deep affection on you. You can have confidence that that is the case as you look to Christ and bear the fruit of the gospel. It says if, if you're trusting in Christ alone and you're seeing fruit in any measure, God wants you to know that you know that you know Him. That you can have confidence and assurance that you have a real relationship with Him. Some of us might say, well, how much do I have to be growing to have assurance? Again, the first place of assurance is, am I trusting in Christ alone? 
Not in what I do, but am I trusting in Christ alone? And then another way after that is, am I growing? Well, let me mention this. The fastest growing tree, and if any of you are arborists out there and you can correct me after the service, please do so. But the fastest growing tree that I'm aware of is the Thuja green giant tree. That's an evergreen tree. It can grow up to five feet a year and reach full maturity in as little as three years. Five feet a year. I'm sure some of my kids are like, I'd like to grow that fast. That would be awesome. Five feet a year, full maturity, and three years. And sometimes you see people around you, and it seems like that's how they're growing. Like, man, look at how they grow. They're just growing so much and so fast, and I'm here, and I'm struggling so much. Well, let me mention to you another tree. It's the chinkapin oak. It's one of the slowest growing trees. It grows a mere 10 inches a year compared to the five feet of the Thuja Green Giant. And it can take up to 200 years to reach full maturity. Which one is a better tree? They're both trees. One's just growing at a different pace. They're both bearing leaves. They're both contributing oxygen to the world around them. They're both taking out nutrients from the soil to grow. Well, which one is a better tree? Well, they're both trees. And sometimes in our Christian life, we can get discouraged because it's like, well, I don't see as much fruit as that person. And they seem to be growing this much. And I'm so broken. And I have so many issues. And it's just kind of like, are you trusting in Christ? And have you grown like this much the past two years? I heard one pastor saying, he goes, are, are you at least looking in the right direction? Then you can have confidence and God wants you to have assurance that he's called you and that he loves you. But he does give a warning. He does give a warning here. He says, as well, he says in verse 9, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from all his former sins. Now, you'll notice in the rest of Second Peter, there's starting to be some issues in this church that there's others who are coming in saying, Listen, the gospel is so much, it doesn't matter what I do. And here's what they're doing. When he says that they're nearsighted and blind, what they're doing is they're separating the remedy of grace. I've talked about this before. The full, complete forgiveness of sins. They're separating that from the design of grace. God forgives you in order to make you like His Son. To grow gospel fruit in your heart. And Peter is saying there's some who are nearsighted and they don't see their own need for the gospel and they're blind to the design of the gospel, which is not only to pardon you, but also to grow you into the image of Jesus. And you'll see here it says that they've forgotten that they've been cleansed from their former sins in Scripture more often than not when the language of forgotten is being used, it's not some mental lapse. Like for me in junior high and all of high school, I would often say, I forgot my homework. <laughs> I didn't do it, right? It was just, I forgot it. Some mental lapse. It was just didn't get done. And scripture forget, forgetting is not that. Or Liz would say, I often forget my wallet. I'll be like, oh, where's my wallet? She sees me do that way too often. I forget it. Usually in important places that are two hours away and I have to drive back. 
It's not that kind of forgetting. Forgetting in Scripture is a failure to apply something. You actually know it. You're actually failing to act in light of it. That's forgetting in Scripture. And Peter says, take an honest look. Where's your heart on that? And there it's not the comfort of assurance. It's the conviction of need. If that's you, they're just like, yeah, yeah, I love sinning. God loves forgiving. Life is awesome. If you've separated the remedy of grace from the design of grace, you need to go back to the foundation, Jesus Christ, and say, help me. Help me know more of the remedy. Help me know more of the designs. Gospel fruit, gospel self-reflection, and last and briefly, gospel promises. Uh, you can see this in verse 11. For in this way, as you trust in Christ and grow in these fruit, in this way there will be richly provided for you um, an entrance. Oh, excuse me, let me back up. If you practice these qualities in verse 10, you will never fall. Well, that's a promise. Uh, we had a confession of sin this morning, and that means we're confessing that we've fallen. Is, is this promise true here? Peter fell many times in the gospel. What's he saying? I believe what most scholars would agree with is what Peter is talking here is if you grow in this faith and you grow in the fruit of this faith, all of these character qualities, there will be times where you stumble and fall. Even the, God, or the book of James says that. For we all stumble in many ways. We confess that every Sunday. What he's saying is you will never ultimately fall. You can have confidence in the promise of gospel stability. That Christ will make sure that you never fully, completely turn your back on Him and walk away from Him forever. He's saying as you trust in Him and grow in these fruits, you will never ultimately fall. And ultimately because of God's preserving of you. But then in verse 11, another Wonderful promise. It says, for you, for in this way there will be richly provided for you. Notice that language. Richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What he's saying there is, if you're trusting in Christ and growing in this fruit, here's, here's something you can eagerly anticipate. Whether it's the moment you close your eyes in death or when Jesus comes back, what will be provided? You don't provide this. God does. And what will be richly provided for you is a welcome into his eternal kingdom. Now let me pause just so we can kind of get a big picture of what this looks like. 2006, the president of Brazil visits the Queen of England. He's got some business to do in the UK. Uh, the Queen, of course, hears this, and they want to make sure that he is warmly, richly welcomed into the UK. So he comes to the royal palace. He's invited there, so they get out literally all the red carpet that they can. Uh, the soldiers come along. They're standing by the roadsides. There's thousands of people welcoming him to the royal palace. The queen comes out herself, embraces him, welcomes him into the house. They have a feast like no other that night, a massive party with politicians and celebrities, all kinds of people with the finest food from the finest chefs in the world to simply tell the president of Britain, you, or excuse me, of Brazil, you are important and you are welcome here. We will go to no expense. 
We will spare no expense to welcome you here to London. And while you are here, you have three nights stay at the Royal Palace where we will provide anything you need for your trip. Welcome to London. What if... What if they did that for a homeless person in London? Wow. Spared no expense. The queen herself came out. What if it was one of the street performers? Or a plumber? Or a doctor? Or a teacher? Or a mom? Or a dad? Or a student? Or anyone else? He got that treatment because he was important. He was a president. In this passage, Peter says, whoever you are, young or older, whoever you are, rich or poor, whoever you are, status or no status, whoever you are, if you simply trust in Christ and that, fruit, or that faith is bearing fruit in your life, a rich Welcome will be provided for you into the eternal kingdom of God. Jesus himself as the king will greet you. And he say, who will say, job well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of your master. The book of Revelation says that there will be a multitude of angels without number singing and celebrating God's mercy on another sinner who's come home. So that when you arrive at that moment, all of heaven is going, yes! And Peter says, that's what's awaiting you. That's yours. Gospel fruit. An invitation to gospel reflection. And gospel promises. Let me just end with a quote by one of my favorites, Martin Luther. Or let me mention John Newton as well. Both of these guys. You can look at a list like this, but hopefully this encourages you. This is John Newton who wrote uh, Amazing Grace. He says, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once was. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Or Luther would say this, this life, therefore, is not righteousness but growth in righteousness. Not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the gospel, that you've given us all things necessary for life and godliness, that you've given us precious and very great promises. Therefore, we long to bear gospel fruit. We enter into gospel reflection and say, is there fruit in my life? Is it growing? That you long for us to have the comfort of assurance of your love. And that even after that, you give us the gospel promises of stability 
will never fall. And lavish hospitality, you'll welcome us into your glory. So Father, encourage our hearts in the gospel this morning. If any are here who don't know you, give them faith to trust you alone. We ask it all in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.